The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. 
Jesus makes us uncomfortable when he highlights our faults, when he pokes his finger in our side and makes us feel the pain of our sins and our guilt, our failure to live up to his commands. That's what he did for the Pharisees when he was at dinner with them. He identified all of the things that they wanted to hide, all of their shortcomings. They thought that they did pretty well. In fact, they were the most religious people of the day. From the outside, they looked like the best, the most pious, the most godly. And so he spent some time making them uncomfortable. It is a marvel, however, that the thing that makes people most uncomfortable is not finding out what Jesus thinks about your behavior, not finding out that he knows what's in your heart and what he can see and what he knows. The thing that makes people most uncomfortable is how merciful Jesus is. Today, the Pharisees are not objecting because they think that Jesus is too hard on them. They're not objecting because they think he's holding them to some standard they cannot live up to because they want to keep doing the things that he says they shouldn't do. That's not why they object. They object because he is too merciful. He eats with sinners and tax collectors and they think to themselves, no God of mine should be so kind. No good person should overlook such grievous faults. No one should want to have anything to do with people like that. Now, granted, we are pretty good at sometimes being merciful, but notice this in your own heart. Notice this in the way the world talks about things. We love to be merciful with certain conditions. You can hear this in the way our cancel culture often operates. I'll forgive you when you're truly sorry. I'll forgive you when you have reformed your behavior, when you're doing better than you did before. I'll reform you when I can see. I'll forgive you when I can see that you are broken and desolate, when I can see that you are lower than me and that I can lord it over you. That's when we tend to show mercy, which isn't mercy at all. Mercy is undeserved. There are no conditions attached to it. If there were conditions, it would be a wage. It would be something you had earned. But mercy is when the judge looks at all of the evidence, and the evidence is conclusive, and he does not find you guilty anyway. Mercy is when someone knows what you have done, what the wrong that you have done to them, and they do not hold it against you. They forget about it. They leave it behind. Mercy is when you do not have to repay what you owed, when you do not have to change your behavior first, when you do not first have to become a better person, that is mercy. And we cannot stand it. As much as we might like to think that the world would be better if there were such a thing as a free lunch, we would not actually be able to endure it if this world was as full of mercy as it is. Our Lord is gracious and merciful beyond measure, and we cannot stand it. The Pharisees could not stand it, and so Jesus presses it further. They thought to themselves, those sinners and those tax collectors, those people who suffer, those people who are going to hell, guess what? They deserve it. Good riddance. That's the difference between Jesus and sinners like us. Sinners like us relish it when people get what they deserve, when they get their comeuppance. We love it. But it makes God sad. God cannot stand it when people get what they deserve. It breaks his heart 
The Bible is full of lamentations, God's lamentation over the sad and sorry fate of people who choose instead of mercy to get what they deserve, who would rather receive justice than God's loving kindness. It breaks God's heart. He does not sit back and laugh and think, thank goodness they finally got what was coming to them. But it makes him grieve to the point of sending his son to die on the cross. Jesus tries to make this point clear to the Pharisees, and he begins by telling them a story about some sheep. Look, which one of you, having a flock of sheep, does not regret when one of his sheep goes astray? In fact, what shepherd wouldn't go after that one sheep, leaving behind the 99 who are safe, leaving them behind, and going and finding the one who is lost? Now, you could imagine kind of a scoundrel of a shepherd, somebody who's bitter and cruel, who says of that sheep, look, that guy always wandered away. He was always trouble for me. He would never stay in the fold. It serves him right to get eaten by a wolf. I'm not going to think about him anymore. Jesus says that's not how it is with your heavenly Father. He's like the shepherd who leaves behind the 99 to go and find that one strain, that one belligerent, that one awful sheep, because he wants it back, because it is valuable to him, because he loves it, in fact. It is worth something. Likewise, the poor woman who loses one-tenth of her life's possessions, one-tenth has rolled under the couch and she sweeps the house clean, looking for it, searching for it, because it is worth something to her. All kinds of people might have said, just give it up. It's a lost cause. You have nine other coins, but she would not let it rest. She wanted to find every last one. She would not settle until she had them all. Now, these stories are understandable for the Pharisees. They make sense. Because sheep and money are valuable by the world's reckoning. We saw this in the last couple of weeks. The things that the people of this world love, stuff, the gifts that God has given us that we hold too closely, that we begin to worship. So, of course, a sheep... A sheep and some money made sense, but Jesus presses things even further when he tells the parable of the prodigal son. Now, it seems at first like this should be easy. Who does not love their own son? But a son like this. Try this on. A son who betrays his father in the worst possible way who basically looks his father in the eye and says, you are of no use to me. All I want from you is the money that I'm going to get when you die, and so would you please drop dead right now? That's what the son basically said to his father. For some reason, and this is completely inexplicable, for some reason the father gives the son what he asks for. But the son is not satisfied to take what the father has given him and spend it on a life in the presence of that community, a life in the company of his father and his older brother. He is not content to do that. Instead, he takes it and he squanders it. His father's life savings, gone, wasted on worthless things, worse than worthless things, things that degenerate, things that bring him into the dirt, so that his condition at the end is utterly despicable, longing to eat the pods that are fed to the pigs, pigs who are unclean animals, longing to defile himself just to have something in his belly. He has utterly betrayed his father, turned his back on him, and destroyed everything his father worked for, even his own body. 
Now, that's a hard tale to hear. We'd like to think that if our children were to stray, we would love them anyhow, but can you imagine? Have you ever seen something like that? Have you ever seen relationships strained? Fathers and sons who do not talk to each other for a decade, for decades, for 50 years to the end of their lives because something has come between them, something unforgivable, something squandered, something betrayed, something lost. Someone said, I wish you were dead, and then they acted like it. It's so common in our world. It's so common in our lives, not just between fathers and sons, but between mothers and daughters, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, friends, neighbors, because we do not know how to be merciful. We'd like to think that it would be easy, that we could welcome back that son with open arms, but it is divine. It is something that belongs only to our Heavenly Father. And so the Father welcomes back his son and acts as if nothing had ever happened. He puts a ring on his finger and a robe on his shoulders and he says, you're my son. Forget about serving in my house. You've always been my son. What money? What inheritance? What reckless deeds? What squandering? I don't know what you're talking about. Come, eat and drink and be merry. That son thought that he had it good, imagining that he could be a servant in his father's house, but he had no idea what good was coming for him. Because his father was merciful in a way that the Pharisees cannot be and in a way that you and I cannot be. We cannot stand it. We are so bent on justice, so bent on getting what we deserve, so bent on giving what we deserve, that this is perhaps the most scandalous thing Jesus has to offer. If you think that he's hard, that he gives hard commands, that he has hard expectations for you, that's nothing. What's hard is to receive his mercy. What's hard is to rely on him entirely for every good thing. What's hard is to believe that he means it. This parable highlights the problem with our thinking about God. It highlights the fact that we tend to think that he is just like us. There's a great psalm that laments the fact that the people thought he was just like them. Of course he's not. He's not just some yardstick that we can use to measure and judge other people, as we love to do. He's also not just a get-out-of-jail-free card, someone to pay the bond, to post bail when we need it. He's not someone who's there just to put food on the table or just to scratch our itches, but he's there to give himself entirely to us not to hold anything back, to love us no matter what we have done, no matter how far we have strayed, no matter how deep our sin. Imagine it, something that you would never dare utter to anyone. God knows it, and he loves you in spite of it and forgives it. Dig into the recesses of your heart and see all of the thoughts that lurk in there and praise God that he intends to forgive them. That he does not want to leave you unclean. He does not want you to be a servant in his house, but he wants you as his children. His mercy is not limited to what he gives you. He's not like us when we give gifts, where we go to the store and we pick something nice off the shelf and we hand it to somebody and as a token of our kindness to them. God is not like that. He doesn't just go and get good things and give them to us, but he gives himself entirely for us. How else could he show? How else could he show the depths of his mercy? but by giving his own life for the life of the world. He's merciful 
in all things. Not just in forgiving our sins, which is perhaps, not perhaps, it is his greatest mercy, but merciful in all things. Never once, never once has God thought evil of you. Never once has he wanted something bad for you. Never once has he desired to curse you. He has only ever desired to bless you. Think of this, the father seeing his son wander off into a far country. God is like that father standing on the porch, however long the son was gone waiting and waiting for him to come into his right mind because he loves him and he wants him back. What the father gave up in order to have his son back is beyond measure. That is exactly how God is for us, willing to give everything to us. It's a scandal for the Pharisees. They cannot bear it. Recognize, you must recognize that it's a scandal for you as well. You may not always feel it. Talking about the forgiveness of sins is very easy. We do it commonly. But when you see the sin that you would rather hold on to, or when you see the sin that you think God could never forgive, that is the point. That is the point at which we must believe in God's mercy. That is the point at which it becomes difficult. And that is the point at which we thank God that he has sent us his Holy Spirit to teach us to trust in him. Trust in him. Do not think that he is like us. Do not think that after he has forgiven you, there will be anything between you still. That's how it is between people. We imagine that there's always going to be something between us, that that thing that you've done is always going to stand there as an obstacle to trust and a close relationship. That's not how it is with God. Your sins have been cast into the depths of the sea. God does not remember them anymore. He does not remember them. If you think too little of God, like the Pharisees do, if you think that he can't possibly or shouldn't be that merciful, if you think that he's like us, repent and hear again the words of the Father who rejoices when he sees his Son. How could we do anything but celebrate? For this, my Son, who was dead, is alive. There's more rejoicing in heaven by all the angels over one sinner who repents, one poor, miserable sinner, one awful, sick, twisted, detestable, depraved sinner who repents. There's more joy in heaven over you when you repent than over anything else in all of creation. Leave behind your sins and trust in God. Learn to understand his mercy, plumb the depths of it, and see that he will not hold anything back from you. It's like he says to the older son, look, you're in his house. You're a child of God. All that he has is yours. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.